You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with renowned radio talk show host and certified holistic practitioner, Cindy Gilman. So listen, participate, be inspired. Know that you can discover your potential. Here she is, Cindy Gilman. Hi, I want to welcome all of you to Discover Your Potential. I'm your host, Dan Gilman. I need to change the intro. But as many of you know, or haven't tuned in last week, uh, the broadcast, I announced my mother's passing uh, with guest Gordon Two Bears. And today we have a special and wonderful show, an amazing guest today. And before I introduce our guest, my mother always started the show with an inspirational quote, or just an introduction to the guest. But while we're going through all of my mother's stuff at her house, I found so much material for inspiration, material from her classes that she taught, also included so many amazing quotes that she said. So I found a quote that would be apropos uh, for today's show, and I wanted to read it to you, and it's called Risk It. Now, I'm not sure if this quote is written by anyone, other than my mother, because there was no name on it, but she always wrote her own quotes. So I, if, if this was defined by someone else, I'm not sure, but it's called Risk It. Risk it. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To express feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas, your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing, has nothing, and is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he simply cannot learn, feel change, feel change, grow, love, live. Only a person who risks is free. And today we have a special, very special guest, Tony Watley, a business mentor, entrepreneur, best-selling author of Side Hustle Millionaire, 365 Driven Podcast host and speaker. He's also known as a co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive community through into the largest of its kind. His website grew to over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for millions in only five years. And that was just a part-time business. He teaches others how to start growing and sell their business within their podcast through his consulting brand and business 365 Driven. Tony, it is a real pleasure and honor to have you on Discover Your Potential. Thank you. Hey, Dan. I'm honored to be on the show, and hey, my condolences for your passing of your mom, but I applaud you for keeping her legacy going with this show, man. It takes a lot of courage, and I just want to acknowledge you on that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, she was, she was an amazing woman. I wish you could have spoken directly with her. She had so many gifts. Actually, in the last show that we had, we talked about the gifts that she gave to the world, and it was was fairly amazing. I got over 60 phone calls just right after her passing. It was incredible. But I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, Appreciate that. So 
I, I also want to mention to uh, any listeners, if you want to ask Tony any questions during the show, we will be taking calls. And the number is one eight eight eight. That's three eight. Sorry, one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. That's one eight 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 six two seven zero zero eight. We also have an international number, but I'm not sure what that is. Doug knows it. I'm sure he'll message me. But for many of of our guests who do not know you, Tony, I would love for you to introduce yourself. And I've and I've heard. I actually, I, I just want to start. I've heard Tony speak many times on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a application that resides uh, right now only on the Mac. Uh, and that's actually where I met Tony. And he mentioned uh, a, a, an amazing, a very spiritual waking and experience that he had that I would love to talk to him about uh, today. Uh, and I also heard that you're a car fanatic. Yeah, absolutely. I think when most people introduce themselves, unfortunately, they talk about their job title. And I think it goes deeper than that. So if someone was to ask me, who am I? Who is Tony Watley? I would say that I'm an adrenaline junkie, a lifelong learner, and someone that's willing to take the risks to potentially get the opportunity for reward. I like the quote that you read before we started the show about taking those risks. Most people are unwilling to take risks. Yes. And they have to understand that when you take risk out of the equation, you no longer have the opportunity. Yes, that's great. Um, you also talked about, uh, I would love to chat with you about your spiritual experience that changed your life. Apparently, not only your life, but your business and, and in many forms of your life. I would say that the tendency to evolve or change in my life has always been there. It's always been present. I grew up lower middle class, suburb of Houston. And for me, I've always been a creative and artistic type of person. But I knew that the path to six figures was to maybe pursue a degree. And when I was young in the 1980s, it was you go be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. And that's what I did is I went to pursue my engineering degree because I just wanted to make six figures. And I was actually the first person in both sides of my family to go to college and actually get a degree. So I was breaking that generational wealth gap by trying to make an attempt at that. And so I started by going to school full-time at and, and working full-time in the construction field. So there I was working in Texas out in the sun and the pipelines and the chemical refineries and going to school at night. And even on the weekends, I would wait tables at the restaurants in order to pay for school because we didn't have any money to do that. Mm. So I had to evolve from what my grandfather and my father did before me working outside in construction into trying to get into a role with air condition and six figure salary. And that's just kind of an idea of the, the goals that I had set for myself, but I didn't always knew that I was going to get there because I just had so many examples of reasons for not to achieve that. But eventually I did. And I, and I made it through school. It took me seven years. And so I remember getting my first salary job and feeling like a big boy and, thinking that was a great thing. And it is, if you can make a salary, it's a great position to be in. But I quickly was met with artificial ceilings in the corporate world by telling you that you're too young to go advance and, you know, wait your turn, pay your dues and all these things that were just slowing down my progress. And I was determined. And one of the reasons I started to build those outside businesses was because I needed an outlet, a creative outlet to explore authority roles, decision-making, risk-taking, just wanted to have some kind of a control over things in my life. 
Yeah. And I never set out to make millions of dollars. A lot of people think about, you know, did you think you're going to build this thing and have a big exit and all that? I didn't, I didn't really at all. I, I just wanted to build a cool website for my friends to hang out online Mm. and talk about cars. And at the time I bought myself a Pontiac Trans Am back when Pontiac was still in in business. (laughs) And that was my graduation gift to myself. And I, I, the car note of that thing was $500 a month at the time. This was 98. I said, you know, if I could build this website and make $500 extra per month, it'd be like having a free car doing something I love. And that would be really cool. Yeah. Well, a few months in, it was making about $10,000 extra per month. And that's when I realized like, this is actually a business, not a hobby. Mm. I started to treat it like a business, man. And that's kind of how it grew from initially. Wow. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Uh, So when you, you also mentioned, um, I know you, when you were talking actually on clubhouse too, you mentioned you had a a near death experience. Um, And I, and I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a good segue into that, but I, but I'd love to hear about your experience with that. Yeah. So my love of cars, led me to write for automotive magazines and all kinds of stuff. I had VIP credentials, just like media. And I was always throwing the keys to some very expensive hardware to go extract either quarter mile times out of there or lap times around the road course. And so I got pretty good at being well-known for driving and setting these lap records and and quarter mile records in in, in specific types of vehicles. Hmm. And in November of 2015, I was at the drag strip here in the Houston, Texas area. And there was a shop there that had a 1000 horsepower twin turbo Dodge Viper. And they were trying to become the first one of that vehicle generation to run a nine second pass. And I have a Dodge Viper. I have a a couple of those myself. And one of them actually has more horsepower than that one. So I was very comfortable making those passes in low nine second range. And, Mm. and so they said, Hey man, we think you're the best one to do it. Would you be willing to drive our car? And I said, absolutely. I, I, you know, I've got one just like this. Let, let's, let's get this number for you. And mm. it was the last pass of the night. So we had waited for everybody to leave and we just wanted to run a record pass and get some good videos of it. And man, we got some good videos of it. All right. Hey. But here's how it worked, went down. It was a good launch. Everything was going really well through second gear. And when I hit third gear, about the middle of third gear, the car started to get a little bit out of line, just a little bit, but I felt like it was still on a good number. Like I was still going to get a good pass out of it. Cars at that level, they always kind of feel a little bit rowdy when you get over a hundred miles per hour and you're still accelerating really hard. And at the top of third, it started to drift towards the right wall a little closer and a little closer. And I was trying to keep it off the wall, but then in that time, I still had the adrenaline, a little bit of fear mixed in. I still thought the number was going to work. And then the car kind of swooped over and started grazing the side of the wall on the, on the right lane. And, and then my emotion at that time went from fear to anger and disappointment because I felt like I damaged somebody else's very expensive car that I was trusted with. And like, how could I let that happen? And why did it happen? I was not even driving it near the wall, but it kept moving towards the wall. Hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was the worst of it. And I started to get off of the the throttle. And as soon as I came off that wall, what would happen was the right rear suspension. Something had broken the rear suspension from all the power. I was still running on a lot of stock suspension pieces that aren't made for a thousand horsepower. And the car went hard left. I'm still doing 130 miles per hour at this point. I'm looking at the concrete wall in the left lane and I'm approaching it. And in that moment, I thought I was going to die. 
because it was really bad odds when you do some mental calculations that you're in a two-door sports car approaching a concrete barrier at 130 miles per hour on the side that you're going to hit. And I remember muttering to myself in that moment, well, here I go. Mm. And it felt like really an eternity. It was milliseconds at that speed, but it was felt like an eternity. Yeah. And you would think that when you hear the story that you would be terrified or when you see it in the movies, everybody's got that face like, ah, they're screaming. And you know, that's, it's like, they're about to die. It's like, it's so dramatic. But what I still remember even to this very day is that I felt like an overwhelming sense of peacefulness, Mm. peacefulness. I was steering straight. The car was deciding it's going hard left. I had no control over that. The rear wheel was doing the steering for me and impact hits. It's nighttime. The lights are going on and off. The airbags deploy. So the cabin's filled with this white powdery smoke. And I hear all these terrible noises going on outside. And I don't know if I'm injured or not. And I just remember being conscious and then focusing on stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, Tony, because from my race training and experience, most people do not die from the impact. This even goes for the freeway. They die from the fire because when you're in a major accident, gasoline, oil, grease, all these things come out of the engine, the drivetrain, the gas tank, and a simple spark puts you up in a flame. And if you're unconscious, you're not getting out. So I just remember the car sliding at 120, 30 miles per hour and, and noises and just terrible noises like carbon fiber being ripped apart, steel twisting, aluminum breaking, glass. And just, it felt like a long time sliding and I finally came to a rest and I was still awake and I had to pry the door open because I had hit that side of the car and pushed the fender into the door. And I just got out. I just had, I had to get out. I have to get out of this car. Mm. And as I was standing there, I took my helmet off and I could hear the ambulance at the far end of the track making its way up. And I could hear my friends screaming and running up the track. I could hear four wheelers approaching and I'm just standing there looking at this wreckage and there's wheels off of the car. Oh. Every single panel of this car is damaged except for the area that I was sitting in fluid strewn all across. And I was just standing there. I was really calm and the paramedics get there and she puts me in the back of the ambulance and she has me take my shirt off and she's looking around and she's checking all my vitals and asking me questions to see if I have a concussion. And after she's done with her inspection, she says, can I tell you something unusual? And in that moment I was thinking, well, what, what could be unusual? Is she going to tell me that I have some major injury that I don't know about that I can't see that she's going to shock me or what is it, you know? And Mm. she said, you're remarkably calm. Mm. People crash out here all the time. Even in a major accident, your heart rate is low. You're remarkably calm. You don't have the adrenaline shakes. You're answering the questions very clearly. And I said, I am calm. And then what I was really going through my mind was a series of questions The first question is, as I'm looking out the back of this ambulance and looking at the wreckage still in front of me, I'm thinking to myself, why am I still here? Hmm. That leads to the next question of, what if I would have died? And then that leads to the next question of, well, how would I have been remembered if if I would have died right there looking at that car? And I started to think about some of my friends who had passed away in the racing scene and how were they remembered? It was always so-and-so was a nice guy. So-and-so had some cool cars. So-and-so gone too soon. Hope they're racing upstairs with the big man. And, you know, it was always things about just going too soon and someone being nice. And I get that if someone's a dirtbag, they would aspire to be remembered as a nice guy. But I've always been a nice guy. 
And the final question leading after that kind of thought process was, am I doing enough to impact this world? And answer punched me in the face right there more than that accident because I couldn't answer that honestly. The only true impact I'd created in this world was for my close proximity of friends and my family. And I knew that I had far more gifts and far more knowledge and far more love that I could get out there into the world that I just wasn't doing because I was so afraid of the camera. I didn't like being in front of cameras. I didn't like recorded voice. I didn't like being on stage. I had stage fright and I just avoided that. And anytime people were telling me like, man, you should be doing this because I've been teaching people for 15 years how to start businesses that were just friends and colleagues and coworkers of mine. I've helped so many people, even former staff members at my website, I've built them into millionaires by building seven and eight and nine figure businesses. And they were always telling me, Tony, you should be teaching this. You're so good at it. Look at these results. And I would always make up a bunch of excuses because I was so worried about putting myself out there. I had a very comfortable life. I already made a lot of money. I did things really well in the shadows. I started thinking about the bullies I had in grade school that kind of taught me to stick, not, not stick my neck out and fit in and, you know, just do things in the background and try to blend in. And I didn't want to deal with the potential criticism because I had just all these convenient excuses. I'm a father, I'm a husband, all these reasons to keep me from doing that. But what was really, it was, I was just afraid of the potential criticism and what people might think or say if I'd tried to put that stuff out there or, you know, that that's the main reason that I, I had to change. And then after that, I realized that I needed to put my purpose ahead of my fear mm. because I'm looking at this wreckage, realizing that time is, it's invaluable. And if it's taken away from you, yeah, or, or you're even worse, you're in a situation where you know your time is running out and you have nothing to do left with that. I didn't want to be in that position. And so I decided to leave my corporate job and I was a highly paid project manager working for major oil companies, Fortune 10 companies, and I was making multiple six figures. And I decided this is not going to help me make my impact. I'm making an impact for these corporations, but I'm not making an impact for the world or myself and what I should be doing. And so I left that job and I went full-time entrepreneurship in 2015. And I didn't even know what I wanted to do, Dan, for another two years. I was still going through my mind. What what am I going to do to be impactful? Am I going to start a nonprofit? Or am I just going to be a bigger philanthropist? What is it? And I decided, well, the best way for me to impact this world is the thing that I love other than cars has always been business. Mm. I was the kid that would go to the grocery store with my mom when I was a kid and I would run to the magazine rack back when those were a thing. And I would read my car magazines, Hot Rod and Car Craft and Motor Trend. And me growing up broke, I would always see these magazines on the corner of my eye. Yeah. We're talking about money, mm. fortune, entrepreneur, success. I was like, man, these magazines over here are talking about the thing I don't have. Maybe if I start reading these, I'll be able to unlock some knowledge and learn a way to make money. And that's what I did. I was a 12, 13-year-old that had a subscription to Fortune and Entrepreneur magazines, as weird as that sounded. And I didn't know what I was reading. I was, it took me probably a year of reading those things cover to cover to try to figure out what was in them and finally start to understand what they were talking about, all the terminology and all these valuations and stock. And I didn't understand any of that as a kid, but I learned it. Mm. And it served me really well to understand that. But I started looking back. Everybody knew I had a bunch of cars and I built a lot of successful automotive businesses. I've built some other ones beside those communities you mentioned. And I said, now I'm going to teach people how I got those cool cars. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I started is I, I'm going to teach people business and confidence, things I've had a lot of experience in, things that people keep coming to me for advice on. So that's one thing that I would give you as a listener is if there's something that people keep coming to you to ask your advice about, it's probably because you're showing or demonstrating some kind of a positive result or an expertise in that. And you should pay attention to that. Maybe it's something you should be paid to do. And so for me, that was always business. How do you start a business? How do you grow a business? How do you make millions of dollars? How do you do this? And I would always answer those questions gladly, but I realized that I have a bigger purpose to go serve more people. And that's when I decided to write the book. And that was late 17. And that book came out in May of 2018. And we sold over a thousand copies the first week. It became a number one bestseller on Amazon in the small business category. It even made number 11 of all personal development books on Amazon. Well, wow, that's trying to get it in that top 10, but man, I'm a self-published author and nobody knew who I was and mm. it just kind of it blew up from there. So yeah, a lot of things changed in my life between 2015 and 17 for sure. Yeah. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the book. I've actually got a copy of it and I've read it um, because I'm, I myself actually am transitioning to uh, much more of kind of like an entrepreneur uh, as well. So it's helped impact me. So I, you know, I thank you for that. And actually it's ironic because my mother's not to talk about myself. Cause I don't usually like to do that when I have a guest, but uh, I, I, you know, basically after my mother's passing uh, it made me think about a lot of things, you know, a lot of things, uh, what I want to do and also take the helm of the show and really kind of continue her legacy, but also thinking more about, you know, my family and, where I want to be, um, you know, as, as far as my life goes. So, but I thank you for, for your message. It, it was really clear. I'd love to chat with you offline at some point. Um, Absolutely. But, but for, for many of the guests, uh, would you mind talking about your book a little bit or um, even, I know you're doing a podcast as well and I've heard many of the shows and I've, I've heard your talk actually many talks uh, on clubhouse for sure, which really, was very very engaged. I, I love I love your work and I love what you do. Uh, and I know I, I I talked about talking more about the spiritual side of things, but I'd love for the guests, you know, for our listeners to to hear more about you and what you're doing and what drove you, what how you uh, you pretty much discussed it, but how you discovered your potential and what drove you to success and how you found your purpose um, as far as not, you found your purpose, but found out what you wanted to do because you mentioned that there were there were two years, or 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 a length of time before you actually found where you wanted to be. But I'd love to hear more about that. Sorry, yeah, that, I'd love that, to. That there's some, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some uh, there's definitely some funny stories behind the book and the creating of that book. I actually wrote the manuscript for Side Hustle Millionaire with a different title. It was under the, under the original manuscript of The Hustle, because in college, I was a nine ball collegiate champion in, in billiards at nine ball. And oh, so wow. I thought, you know what? I was going to be uh, it's a kind of a, a play on words. It was a game I loved. And it's also the, the trendy word like hustle. Right. It's still in the title, if you think of it that way. For sure. But I, I write I wrote this book and I was giving my chapter at a time to the editor and he's reading it and he's thinking, Tony, this is going to be a great book. I can already tell, like you, you actually know this stuff and it's, it's, it's going to do really well. And he was already projecting and forecasting. It's going to be a good seller. And I said, Hey, thank you. And 
probably about four chapters in, he said to me, they may want to interview you or I can see you being on the radio or TV or podcasts. And, and there was that fear that I was trying to hide from. And the thing is, is that the reason I wrote that book and I started admitting this more recent interviews is that it was kind of a cowardly play for me to get what was in my mind out to the masses. Mm. And it was like a way for me to potentially impact thousands of people is what I used to say without them really knowing who I was. So I still, I could still hide. I could still have that, that, that mm. secret background life. And when he said that, I was like, man, I need to confront this fear. There's this fear again. And then that's when I actually decided to join Toastmasters, hire a speaking coach. And then I did a series of awkward and just terrible videos every single day on my social media for over a year. And that was how I learned. I would go to Monday morning, Monday evening Toastmasters. I'd raise my hand. I would sit in the front and I'd make myself really uncomfortable sitting in the front of that room and just do something in the front every time to make sure that I got the reps and I would learn a new tactic or strategy for public speaking. And then I would go apply that to using social media videos. And that's how I practiced for the next six days until the next meeting. And I would learn something else. And I would just kind of build these things as little skills like bricks and and I knew they were terrible and, and that was the best I could do. I, I'll tell you how bad that I was about public speaking and these videos. I would get back from a consulting gig. I'd be sitting in my truck in the parking lot and I would try to do these videos and I would take 10 takes. Mm. And if somebody walked by like two rows over, I would turn the phone off and I would feel embarrassed. And I just, that, that's how bad it was. Mm. It really made me, made me feel awkward. And I would take 10 takes to do like a three or four minute video and usually like seven or eight, one end would be the best. And then the next ones would kind of suck at the back end of that. And I was like, oh, I guess this is the best I do. And I would put the best one I could do. And that, that took me months to kind of get over that. And I started to improve. And the thing is, I started to inspire a lot of people along the way because they're like, why is he doing this? And I would explain why I was doing it. And I would tell people the things I'm reading and things I'm learning and things about my book and updates and stuff like that. And I'd started to show other people that you can be willing to suck and improve if you put in the reps mm-hmm. and the way people see me on big stages and, and clubhouse rooms. And I've spoke to thousands of people on stage and, and I've got over 350 interviews on other shows and 200 of my own episodes. Most people see the things I do or the same things I say now and they go, man, that guy's really talented. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point that out that no, I, it, Public speaking is definitely not a talent. It's a skill. Yeah. And I had to learn that. And I had to put in a lot of reps and hire some of the best speaker coaches that helped me to get where I am today. But I knew that I had to become the right person to carry the message that I have because I wasn't that. So writing that book not only helped thousands of people, several thousands now, but it's also helped me become the right person to do what I do today. And yeah, there's a lot of baked in stories behind all that. But what the book is about, it was a series of questions that I use social media. I'm a marketer, I'm a product builder, but I know that I need to validate ideas before I produce those things. So I thought, you know, about for the last five years before I even wrote the book that I was going to write a book, I need to write a book. And I was, I made a bunch of excuses for not being able to do that. And now I was like, okay, I'm going to write the book. And so being a product developer and, and, a, and a marketer, I went to my social media, Facebook at that time. And I said, Hey, Hey friends, all 1200 of you at the time, I said, I'm going to write a book. What would you like to learn from me? Cause I was validating the idea in my mind. Right. 
Mm. I said, oh, you know, some of them, of course, my friends had funny answers and stuff like that. Hey, but you know what? That creates engagement. People, more people will see the post by the funny answers. But about 80% of them said, we want you to teach us how to start a business. Like, how did you become a successful businessman? I said, cool. So that started to validate the idea for a business book. And now I was all excited. It's like, I'm going to write the most high level entrepreneurship thing because you know as entrepreneurs we're always jazzed up about the latest things we learn like the newest tricks the newest buzzing things and i'm gonna write about this stuff high profile stuff and advanced things i've been in business over 20 years and luckily i still use that validation process so i went back a week later to my social media and i said hey i'm going to write a book on how to start businesses what questions would you like answered Mm. And all the stuff that they asked me, hundreds of people responded. It was mostly very basic stuff, very Mm. basic stuff. Well, how did you name your company? Mm. What's an LLC? Where do you get the money for a company? What's a good website look like? How do you do the marketing? What kind of accounting do you do? Like very basic stuff. And I started to realize there's a lot of people out there that don't understand the fundamentals of business. I had been operating with that stuff in my background for 20 years. So I kind of take it for granted but I start to think, you know, just like most of us, we think that other people know what we know and we, they just don't. Mm. And so someone with a big ego would have looked at those questions and said, ah, you know what? Those are too basic. I'm not going to write a basic book. I'm a very successful entrepreneur and somebody else can go write that basic book. But I'm a product developer. And if that's what they want from me, I'm going to write that book. And I said to myself, if I can answer every single one of these questions in a high level of detail and give examples, I will create a product, which is the book that people will want and they will buy that book and they will enjoy that book. So that's why I wrote the book is how to really handhold people to their first seven figure business, taking the ideas out of their head that they've got and making them into actual businesses because everybody prides themselves on having great ideas. Yeah. But you know what? Thousands of people pass away every single day with great ideas that were never materialized because they didn't take the action. So I wrote the book to teach you how to take those ideas and make them into an actual business. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I also wanted to talk, um, talk about your core values. Cause I, I, I looked on your website too. Um, and on 365 driven, your core values are really interesting and, and really significant too, because I, a lot of people, as you know, have core values, but I find these, um, they're, they're different than the core values that I've seen in, you know, other corporations and companies and, and driven. So, uh, do you mind if I if I read some of them? Because I don't know if ever, all the listeners actually have looked at the the you know have looked at your core values. Yeah, absolutely. Have fun with it. I'll I, I can give you some responses to them if you. Uh, I'd love that, and and we can talk more about your core values as well. But you mentioned bring the positive to this world, and and that that's really an interesting one. Constructive consistency always wins. Give more often than you ask. Maintain respect with every interaction, which I think is really key. Do what is right, not what is easy. Good isn't good enough when better is possible. I love these. Take accountability for your actions and inactions. And I think a lot of people obviously don't do that. Strive to become a better version of yourself. And have fun, make memories, and find success. 
I think they're, they're great. And they're actually on your website, 360 driven. If people are, are looking for it, but I'd love to hear more about, you know, talk about more about your values. Yeah, I really sat down and thought about what are the core values that I would use to make the hardest and the easiest decisions in my life? What are the guiding things? When you think about core values, if you're out there, I understand a lot of corporations will put these things on the wall. Yeah. It's kind of a checkbox item. Yeah. Oh, we got our core values. We've got our mission statement and they'll write things and it'll sound really fluffy and they'll hang them or they'll paint them on the wall. And, but they won't ever make their employees, their team study those and really understand what each and every one of them means at a high level. And if you do things on a personal level, whether you are as an individual or a company or a business owner, you have to realize that these core values dictate every single thing that you do as a, on a personal level and a business level. So when you have a tough decision to make, you simply look at your core values and ask yourself, is this decision going to violate any of my core values? And if it is, then you shouldn't do it that way, right? Yeah. So this could go as simple things. Like even if you're thinking about your fitness or your diet or your health, I'm 48. I'm the physically fit and the strongest I've ever been in my life. And that's after falling off the wagon in my mid-30s. Like I really fell off the wagon between 35 and 39 and I realized I needed to make some changes at 40, that pivotal age that we reach, but core values is what keeps you on track. So when you have a decision, like, should I joint venture with this person? Well, let me look at my core values and assess those. Does he check the boxes of my core values? Probably not. Then, okay, then it's not going to work out. Or this, this food that I'm going to eat, if I, if I maintain a bad diet, is it really following in the core values? Which one is it violating, right? So it really keeps you on track as a personal, on a personal level and your business on a, on a path. The hiring and the firing of your employees is always based on the core values. Hmm. You know, if they violate them and you have to let them know, like if they keep violating a core value, it's just, they're not meant to be there. Mm -hmm. So it's how to have a good culture, be a strong leader and have that discipline. You got to have the core values without that. You kind of just have these random answers to your random questions. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's great. You you speak about um, your health and and wellness. Actually, that goes in with being a, a well rounded individual. Obviously, um, and when when did you start? I would say you know working out, or when did you start being physical? Or because you mentioned that you you like to stay healthy, uh, and I think that that's definitely an important part of life. And I think there's a lot of people out there too that who are doing work, actually like myself, I shouldn't say, <laughs> but who do work, but then don't focus on their, their person, their, their health, you know, and, and that's, that's important to be well-rounded. I would say that at age 34, I sold that company for millions of dollars and I started to get a little bit complacent because at that time I felt like I had overshot any particular goals I ever achieved for myself and I started to have a lot of self-doubt of, did I get lucky? Did lightning strike once? Did, you know, all these different things you start to think about when you do something like that. Because as we started this show, I used to think making $100,000 was a big goal of mine. And here I'm making, you know, several, several multiples of that. Yeah. And understanding that making money had become really easy for me because I was doing the right things to attract those opportunities. But the thing is that, my health started to fade and also realized that I was starting to hang around with other people who didn't take their health seriously. And when you do that, you kind of fall into a trap. So if you're listening to this, 
Ladies, gentlemen, look around at your closest friends that you hang around with. Are they shaped like you? Are they eating like you? Are they drinking and consuming like you? Well, guess what? They're going to keep validating that behavior and you're going to feel like you need to do what they do to fit like you're a part of what they're doing. And when you start to go get that fitness, go join that gym, they're going to say things like, oh, you know, I, I used to do that when I was young, but I got this knee injury and I got lower back pains. And I, I mean, I can still hear the voices of the people I was hanging around with just trying to talk me out of it because mm. they wouldn't go do it themselves. And so it was always the I used to, I could, I would have, should have. And I, I always felt like I was still an athlete inside. I was an athlete since high school, junior high, most of college, part of my 30s. And I kind of just fell off the wagon and I did have lower back pains and I did have a right knee injury that was kind of bothering me. And I have a shoulder injury that's bothering me. And when you hang around the wrong people, they tell you stuff like, well, it's just we're getting old. We don't heal like we used to. Mm. And so I started to think like, yeah, I guess I'm just getting old. I'm pushing 40 and maybe I'm just not cut out to be an athlete anymore. I'm just these injuries from football and track and, you know, being a violence and, and uh, martial arts and then racing and all these things I've had. I was like, okay, I guess this is just how it is, but that's how the people you're hanging around with say. Yeah. And so I remember looking in the mirror at 40 and not seeing the reflection of, who I felt like I was inside. Like I still defined myself as an athlete. I'm looking at a guy with a gut and man boobs and, and a waist that's three inches too big for himself and probably about 20, 25 pounds overweight and not enough muscle. So it was mostly fat. Like the muscle goes away. Muscle weighs more. You start to lose the muscle and you may not weigh a lot more than you did in high school, but it's a whole different level of composition. Right. Yeah. So that kind of fools you. You're like, well, as long as I stay under 200, I'm good, but it's, it was like 199 pounds of fat compared to muscle back then. Right. Right. And so I just decided at that point, I need to make some changes. I need to go become the right person again. I need to go make some health changes in my diet and, and just start exercising. And I'll tell you, it sucks when you start going back to the gym after taking even six months off mm-hmm. that first two, three weeks back, you're going to feel like, like death like, this, this hurts. Why am I doing this to myself? And all your, injuries and your lower back pains and the things they have, they're going to be shouting at you, barking like a dog. And you're going to be, why am I doing this? I'm just torturing myself. This is terrible. And if you could just see it through for six months and it starts to go away over time, that first three weeks is always brutal. That's why New Year's resolutionists never make it through January because it's so tough that first month. If they would just make it through January on a, on a routine, they would realize like, okay, I'm, it's getting easier now. My body's starting to get used to this again. It's, it's getting acclimated to what I'm doing. It's starting, under, it's starting to get some results. And then the results create momentum or creates a pride and it creates the endorphin release. And then soon enough, your body, just like when you're an athlete, will say, hey, why are you sitting around? Let's go exercise. I need to go do something. It starts to remind you because it craves that. And some of you maybe have fallen off the wagon. Hey, I was there. But you remember when you were a runner, when you were a lifter, your body used to tell you, like, let's go exercise. Let's go do something. I, I want to go. We're animals, people. We're animals. We're meant to go run around and do things and be active. And your body forgets that over time. And, and when you start to remind it, when you get back into this, man, it really starts to remind you and lets you do things on a positive side. Hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, it was you when I, I remember one clubhouse event that I, that I attended, you mentioned that the importance of being consistent and 
Um, at least I remember you mentioning that. And, and that kind of falls into not only being consistent, you know, working out and making sure you're consistent that ways, but also in life in general, just in business. Um, yeah, consistency is actually my fundamental word. I actually have a shirt on right now that says consistency on it. And I've got a 365 driven bracelet, a rubber bracelet that says consistency on it. Nice. And as I look back through my entire life, anything that I had that was successful was based on consistency. And for me, consistency just means showing up every day and putting in some kind of effort towards your progress to the goals that you set. So I see a lot of people that go, Hey, I want to build this thing. I want to be a podcast host. I want to do a social media thing or whatever, you know, write a book, but they don't have the consistency. And, you know, we can say that's discipline, but consistency just means showing up every day. That's literally my brand 365 driven. Now I'm not telling people to go be a workhorse and go 24, seven, 365. You never going to sleep again. Cause that was me in college in seven years. Mm. That's how I lived. I was sleeping about three hours a night. I was sleep deprived. I was actually stressed out. I, I had terrible relationships. I, I had more gray hair in college than I do now at 48, which is crazy because of the stress and sleep deprivation and my diet was terrible back then. And so, no, I don't recommend hustle and grind 24 seven. I think that's terrible. I think your body needs some sleep for me. It's about six to seven hours a night is all I really need, but how do I be consistent? How do, I don't, I'm not saying to go work weekends and things like that because I had to get out of that mentality. But when I wasn't happy financially, I would go work three jobs. Mm. So I was the guy with the engineering degree and engineering entry-level salary making 45000 a year back then. And I would get home at 4.30 in the afternoon. And instead of watching TV, I would put my apron on and I'd go wait tables at the restaurants that I used to manage. And I would just do that every single night, seven days a week. And then on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, I would be a mechanic working at a local repair shop to make extra money. So I was literally working three jobs because I grew up thinking that in order to make more money, I had to get more OT or pick up more shifts or get a second job or a third job. It was always trading units of time for units of dollars. And then in entrepreneurship, I started to realize that time and money are not related at all. I can make money while I sleep. I can make money while I'm standing here talking to you on this radio show. I can be making money while I'm on vacation. And if you create the right processes and businesses and systems and have the right staff to do those, you can make money while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Literally, the world is your customer base now. We walk around with these devices called cell phones. The entire world is potentially your customer base. And there's people always awake at some point in the world, and they're buying from you if you build the products or the services that they need from you. So we got to get away from the main street thinking of you got to have a brick and mortar with your last name on the front window and all these things that limit your business ideas. I like digital businesses. I like online businesses. I like having digital real estate versus real real estate, because I can still create rents mm. you know, from places that I create on the internet to understand that. I, I just, I had to get back to, to where I think that that business is going and, and that's the way I think about things like this. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to chat with you at some point because <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's great. Um, uh, also, uh, you mentioned, I just want to harken back because I know we're, we're getting, we, I can't believe we're, we only have like 10 more minutes. It's incredible how time just flies. Um, but you mentioned too, I want to harken back to your kind of uh, spiritual journey. How, how do you feel that, um, 
it's kind of related to the question I asked before though, but do you feel that it, 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 it ultimately, I know it, it changed your purpose in your, in your life, but have you had any other spiritual uh, experiences um, outside of the one, you know, the, the one uh, experience that you had, do you feel like you're a much more kind of spiritual connected? Like, do you feel like you're connected spiritually as a person? I'm just curious as to. Yeah, absolutely. I I have a weird relationship or understanding of religion mm-hmm. because I have a Japanese mother. Oh, wow. So my dad is from Louisiana. So I grew up in a household that was a mix of Southern Baptists and Buddhism. Mm. And so with Buddhism, you're really focused on nature and honor and integrity and peacefulness and just doing things just really around nature and understanding of nature. And Southern Baptist is like very strict Christianity, right? Mm. So I had a good mix of both of those. And I don't think that either of them are right or wrong. There's great aspects to both. And there's some negative aspects of every religion. I think that one of the things I struggled with and, and organized religion overall was that we're all taught to treat others like we want to be treated and accept other people and all these different things. But then you go to these, join these churches that are non you know, the ones that are not non-denominational and they kind of make it like, it's like teams, like sports teams. It's like, our church is the best and all the other ones are going to hell. And yeah. you know, if you're not in our church, you're going to go to hell. And I'm thinking to myself, like, aren't we supposed to accept other people? Aren't we supposed to show some uh, you know, grace? Aren't we supposed to, you know, but it, it goes back to mankind and just being focused on the financial side of religion. You know, that's why when you go to Europe, the church is always the center of every town and it's the biggest building in town. And those were the local governments back then. And it was all based on money and power. They were using religion to, to, to pay their coffers full of money. Right. So I always struggled when I see that church is done in a financial setting versus a spiritual setting. Sure. So I would say that I'm very spiritual and I do think that there's something higher than us out there. And I'm not sure that I can ever define that, mm-hmm. but I know that there's something greater than us. And there's, there's a reason that we are here. And when you start to really look at the expansion of the, the, the universe, I mean, we are just one little speck of dirt floating around in the middle of this giant thing that we don't even know the bounds of. Yeah. And now we're starting to see the government finally starting to admit that there's UFOs. I mean, things that we've always kind of known, but no one was admitting it. Now we're, the government's just now admitting it. Now, yeah, there's UFOs out there. Here's some videos of it. Yeah, we, we confirmed that. You right. can go find them on the internet now. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, cool. We, we kind of already knew that. But who are they? Where are they from? Why are they here? Are, you know, there's so many unknowns out there. It's sure. crazy to think about. And, and we're all so focused on the city we lived in or the state we live in, the country we lived in. We, we literally live in a bubble and a bubble and a bubble and a bubble. Yeah. And when you start to really look up at the sky at night and realize like we're just like a little speck floating around and billions of other specks, trillions of other specks, how many other planets are out there that are like ours that we don't even know about that are maybe at an earlier state of evolution or a later state of evolution. There's just too many unknowns. So it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. We're not alone. Agreed. Um, Yeah. Do you, I know we're running out of time, but I'd love for you to 
Uh, do you have like a, a final message? And I was hoping we'd take calls, but I guess we ran out of time. But I'd love if if you're open to have you back at some point because I didn't get to ask all the questions that I <laughs> I wanted to ask you. But do you have a message for for the listeners, um, whether it be about business, whether it be about life? Uh, or, or just something that they can take away. You've touched so many people's lives and I find that amazing. And that I have found recently as being my purpose is to touch many lives, but I, I'd love to hear uh, a message from you. I'm sure other people have asked you that uh, as well on other shows. And, and also with that, um, if you can give them your information, like your, your website address and where they can find you. And I know you're going to have, uh, a cool event that's coming up soon too. I'd love for them to get information on that as well. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. My website is three, six, five driven.com. And you'll find the information on that, that event. It's going to be in whitefish, Montana, the week of June 5th through 8th of this year. And we've got six amazing speakers that have accomplished some crazy things. One of them sold a company for a billion dollars. Wow. Another one's got over 100 millions in on, online sales. We've got the mental mental coach for the New York Yankees coming out. I mean, it's going to be a crazy group of people that are going to just help people with entrepreneurship. And yeah, you can find the information there at 365driven.com. I guess final words, I could, I could take you through a visualization exercise or I could talk about how to deal with potential criticism and, and naysayers because I think those are the things that most people really need from the world from me. Yeah, what if we have time both, but uh, yes, no, I would love to hear. Uh, also, is that, is that event going to be virtual or is that in person? It's in person. It's going to be at the, at a lodge in, in Montana. Oh, nice. Great. Yeah. So I guess if you're listening to this, if you're not driving, of course, if you're, if you're listening to this and you have a place where you can visualize, I want to teach you guys how to expand your limitations that you may have set for yourself. So I want you to close your eyes in this moment. Think of yourself five years from now. You've made improvements since today. I want you to visualize in great detail who you have become. Think about how you appear in the world five years from now. I want you to visualize your level of fitness, your happiness. I want you to think of the accomplishments you've had since today. What level of wealth or success have you achieved? Think of an actual number for that. Perhaps it's the money that your company is worth or a money that's in your bank account. I want you to think of that number. What is that is in your bank five years from now? Can you see it? Now open your eyes. Now I'm going to present a challenge to you because I know that on this call, we've got a lot of optimistic and growth mindset people listening, but I'm still going to challenge your beliefs of your own potential. The fact is that the majority of us dream too small. We're often told that we set achievable goals, but I disagree with this because when I see goals are easy to reach, there's a much higher likelihood of you becoming complacent. Think about this. If you were to make your goals only 10% more than your current goals, are you really going to put in that extra effort? Here's the thing. Low goals, they don't motivate us. They don't motivate us for very long anyway. So I'm going to challenge you to set gigantic goals. You know, when I was broke, I used to think that earning $100,000 was that big goal, like I'd mentioned, and it isn't. Even nowadays, $1 million sounds much bigger than it actually is. It's not. Instead, I want you to think of huge goals. So do you want to earn seven figures, eight figures, nine, 
even 10, maybe you want to be a billionaire. Do you want to build a company, have an exit plan, and sell that for billions? Well, stop talking success and taking success advice from people and books and podcasts that talk about earning a couple hundred extra bucks or a couple thousand extra per month. Those mentors think too small themselves. We need to think bigger. Just because your business starts out part-time, it doesn't mean that it's limited to earning part-time levels of income. You got to remove this limiting belief. There were many years that my side hustle businesses were earning more than my engineering salary. Here's how most people set their goals. They tend to take a snapshot of their current income level and they base their goals around a low multiple of that figure. If that's you, delete that from your mind immediately. Let me give you an example. Maybe you're making 40,000 a year right now. You think, I sure could make 50,000 a year. You set a goal that's really low. Maybe you're making $100,000 a year right now. You said, someday I'd like to make 125,000. It's a low multiple of that goal that you're currently at. Maybe you're even at 200,000 a year, like my old salary. And you're thinking, and it sure would be nice to make 250,000 a year. I need you to think that you got to get out of the mindset of defining your self-worth based on your currently hourly rate or your salary. What you're earning today has zero relation to your true potential. I need you to remove any and all limits to what you can earn. There simply aren't any limits. Limits, they're imaginary. One of my mentors in business is Ed Milet. You may have heard of him. If not, look him up. He's an excellent, excellent speaker, coach, very successful man. He shared this really profound statement with me. He said, your dream must be so big that it can contain all of the dreams of those who support you. That is how big your dream must be. If you have employees, your dream must contain all of their dreams. If you have fans or an audience, your dream must be able to contain all of theirs. Your goal must be bigger than yourself. If you want business that massively scales, you must look beyond your own capabilities. You must never become the limiting factor of growth. Now, once you remove yourself limiting beliefs and you begin to identify your most desired goals, ask yourself, are your goals purely financial or are they about recapturing time? Will you put in the hard work today to have more free time later? All goals should have specific values and time duration assigned to them because without time, we cannot measure the progress. So let's go back to that visualization exercise again. If you can, close your eyes. Think of yourself in five years. Now I want to imagine you thinking of these big goals that we just discussed. Is your dream big enough to contain the dreams of those who support you? What extraordinary things are you doing with your life in five years? Now that you've removed your limits, are you able to clearly see your purpose? The person that you are today, your current level of success has no direct relation to the future version of you. You get to define who you will become. Now open your eyes. How many of you saw a higher level version of yourself compared to the first visualization exercise? That is the power of removing self-limiting beliefs. I need you to embrace this feeling and understand success is just directly related to how much value you bring into this world and nothing more. 
And I'll be Tony. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think we're we're out of time, unfortunately. But that was amazing and wonderful. Uh, this is Dan Gilman with Discover Your Potential. And I, I want to thank Tony very much for, for being an amazing guest today. And I'd love for him to come back if he's open to it. Uh, thank you. And as my mom always said, do something nice for yourself. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Yeah.